Dealing with different moods is a normal part of the human experience. But sometimes moods can swing far beyond what most would consider normal. Mental health professionals often refer to these aggressive mood swings as bipolar disorder or depression. And once diagnosed, any number of different medications might be prescribed by a licensed psychiatrist or a medical doctor. Some statistics indicate that as many as 8 million kids growing up in America today will be prescribed some kind of psychotropic drug by the time they reach adulthood. Right now, Americans are spending $1,100 per second on mood-altering medications, and we consume 80% of the world's Ritalin supply. But here's the challenge. Some believe these medications may actually cause more mental and physical problems than the behaviors they're designed to treat. But what choices do we have? Are there safer and more effective alternatives? Well, today's guest thinks so, and we'll look into some of those on today's Licensed to Parent. Hello and welcome once again to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis and their families. Our host on the program is Trace Embry, the executive director of Shepherd Hill, and I'm Rich Rosel. And uh, Trace, on last week's program, we introduced this subject, the fact that many of the kids who come here to Shepherd Hill have been diagnosed with a, uh, a mental disorder of some sort. Uh, uh, many professionals would call it bipolar, perhaps. Shepherd Hill also has uh, kids who suffer from depression and a whole lot of other diagnoses. Sure. How does Shepherd Hill, though, deal with these types of conditions? Well, I'll, I'll reserve the clinical jargon for today's guest, but I can say that most of the uh, of the kids who come to Shepherd Hill uh, come on bushel loads of meds. Uh, you know, as we've said many times before, 70% of those kids are leaving med-free. There's a reason for that. Uh, that's old news for you and I. I understand that. But I think it's important to note that there's a moral and spiritual component to the mix at Shepherd Hill uh, and in, in the real world that I think a lot of secular mental health professionals tend to overlook. Uh, we believe that outside stimuli and environment, uh, the environment in general have a lot more to do with our mental and spiritual well-being than, than, than people realize. And though, you know, we get the science behind this, still mental health itself is not an exact science. In fact, many mental health professionals uh, themselves would tell you that it's not a science at all, but more of an ideology. Uh, whatever side of the debate you're on, though, Rich, I think we have to conclude that there's still a whole lot more uh, we have yet to know. I mean, we just don't know everything. Uh, not all truth can be empirically proved. doesn't make it any less true. just can't be empirically proved as we're used to in science. So I don't think we can paint with a broad brush, nor do I think we can look at, at one independent of the other. What I do know is that kids and families are being healed here at Shepherd's Hill, and the common denominator, Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Well, we are touching on a subject that we uh, jumped into last week, and uh, we had with us at that time Dr. Charles Hodges. He's a family physician, but also, and I, I mentioned this in the last program, he's one of those rare birds who uh, not only practices the medical application, but is also a uh, Christian counselor. And having those two together can be very, very helpful. Mm -hmm. And in the last program, we looked at how widespread the, the problem is and what, what some of the challenges are that uh, medical professionals are facing in trying to deal with this. I'm hoping that on today's program, though, we can lean more toward what we as Christian parents can do in the home, uh, perhaps to set up a framework in which our, our kids can, can thrive 
and if they're facing some of these challenges, can overcome them, hopefully without medication, but at least in the proper and uh, God-honoring way as well. Mm -hmm. Let me introduce our guest again. Dr. Charles Hodges is a family physician practicing in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, He is also the executive director of Vision of Hope, which is another residential treatment facility. His uh, works with young women who are struggling with uh, emotional challenges. Uh, Dr. Hodges has been counseling people with mood problems and other family issues for over 25 years. He's a fellow with the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. He's an instructor and counselor with Faith Biblical Counseling Ministry in Lafayette, Indiana. And he's also author of the book that deals with all of this, and we would direct you to this book as well. It's called Good Mood, Bad Mood. You can find it at goodmoodbadmood.com. Charles and his wife, Helen Kay, have been married for 46 years, and as we mentioned last time, they've got four kids and 13 grandchildren, which trumps your count and mine as well, Trace. (laughs) Dr. Hodges, welcome back to Licensed to Parent. Well, it's good to be back again. Hey, just to review, uh, why are we seeing uh, such an increase in bipolar disorder diagnoses, depression, things like that? Uh, What's going on here? Well, at least two things contribute to it. One, they changed the criteria in the Mm -hmm. 1980s, making it easier to make the diagnosis. And then I think a change in the way we diagnose depression and the introduction of a new category of medications for the treatment of depression, starting with Prozac, which led to more treatment for people who I believe were simply struggling with sadness over loss. Mm -hmm. And since their losses didn't change, uh, but they did have the side effects of the medicine, often they uh, eventually would be uh, referred on to psychiatry and diagnosed with bipolar disorder too. Hmm. And what do you think parents can do to to mitigate some of these diagnoses? And if they're suspicious that maybe a a doctor has given their child something, whether it be a diagnosis and or medications, what can they do to maybe get a second opinion or debate it? Or, I mean, what what, what are their options when they get a a diagnosis uh, for their child that they might not really believe Junior has? Well, the first thing I have to do is put in a good word for doctors because I am one. But the... uh, (laughs) You know, I, I point out that uh, most physicians really, their main goal in life is to help people. Sure. Uh, and they try to help them uh, in the arena that has been defined by others. You know, you, you, the, the arena is the school system and the home where the, where the child is being raised and disciplined. And mm-hmm. when the child isn't functioning well, it's a lot of times because we've been taught this over the last uh, generation, sure. uh, the first place people go is to the family physician uh, in order to try to get help. So what they do is intended well. It just doesn't always work out well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think parents, uh, you know, when they're uh, dealing with children who are struggling in school or are struggling at home, uh, need to look at how they have constructed the child's life. Yeah. And, in you what know, way, specifically what way? Well, um, if the child is living in a situation where they have to get up at uh, 5 in the morning to get to the 6 a.m. school program, uh, and if they are in that school all the way through the school day and then enter into another school program that keeps them there till 5 or 6 in the in the afternoon, that child's been in the school building for 12 uh, solid hours. Mm-hmm. I, I remember reading once that most boys, by the time they reach the third grade, uh, hate school. They view it as a prison. Right. And, and if you look at the way a lot of education is constructed today, it's really not hard to understand that. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I, I think looking at uh, the school, uh, how the child's day is constructed, and trying to rearrange it to where it's more favorable to the child's learning uh, and also for the, uh, the way the child's personality is developing. Mm-hmm. I think those are things that parents uh, could and ought to do. You and I uh, uh, both grew up in Indiana. I grew up a little closer to Chicago than you did. But uh, when we were growing up, uh, we never heard of the term latchkey kids. And uh, most of our, our mothers were home uh, when we came home from school. Uh, we didn't come home to an empty house. Uh, but even the term latchkey kids has kind of diminished uh, to where uh, it's diminished, I believe, because it's more of a, a norm today, and we don't even think about it anymore. It's both parents are working. How much is has that contributing to the uh, the anxiety, uh, the depression, uh, you know, bipolar, whatever you, diagnosis you might have for a kid? How much is that contributing to this stuff? Because uh, that's got to be uh, giving these kids a sense of insecurity when they're coming home to an empty house like that. I, you know, I think anything that disrupts the normal construction of a of a family contributes to the outcome of how the child grows up. Depends whether that's good or bad. And when both parents are occupied uh, working and have very little time to devote to the child's raising. Uh, it, you're going to get a, a, a different outcome. And, mm-hmm. and generally, what we've seen over the last 30 years has been um, an increase in crime in our schools, a, a decline in, uh, uh, particularly among boys, uh, educational achievement. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the 1960s, two-thirds of all college applications uh, were men, young men, mm-hmm. and, uh, and one-third were women. And it's good that more women are applying, but what we found is that now it's uh, college applications are 60% women and 30% men. Yeah, you know, young men are no longer uh, going to college. Right. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of things contribute to it, but, you know, the way we've rearranged society is very much at, at, to the disadvantage of young men. Yeah, and, and and women are graduating at far higher rates than, than men are, too. It's like we we can't finish strong anymore. Uh, so many things, as you've already mentioned, have contributed uh, to uh, to these mood disorders that we're uh, seeing rapidly increasing here in America uh, in particular. Uh, a lot of the cultural influences, the negative cultural influences, the entertainment, on and on, Hollywood, Madison Avenue. Um, how can parents limit the effect that, that culture really is having on their kids, you know, without becoming Amish? <laughs> uh, well... There are many endearing things to the, the way they arrange life that would be helpful to our kids today. Number one thing I can think of is the disconnect from uh, television and social media. Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, they're not connected. Period, and that uh, is is a significant advantage to their children, and, and, a, and a significant advantage to ours. I can remember reading a study once that in which a, I think a school system uh, someplace out east, I think in Pennsylvania, got all the kids in school to take the pledge not to watch television during the school year. And what they were tracing was how that affected grades and their um, behavior in the classroom. And what they found was that when the kids cut the cord with television, that all their grades went up about a grade point level and their behavior improved. Yeah, attention and, span, too. 
And well, absolutely. And the teachers said they could tell when the kids fell off the wagon. You know, when when the kid uh, went back to watching TV, they could see it in their behavior and and in their performance. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I think that reducing screen time or television time down to 30 minutes a day, which is what I advise all parents, and then making sure that the things that they're doing or watching are uh, useful and not destructive in nature. It, currently, our society is being uh, roiled with the idea that, you know, we should get rid of all guns in the country. Uh, someone else said, well, if we get rid of all guns, does that mean we're going to get rid of all uh, computer games in which people are shot, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or murdered? Good, good point. Uh, uh, so anyway, uh, those are things that parents, I, I think, can do. I think also parents can take a look at life and decide they don't need as much. And, you know, okay. part of the drive for uh, stuff yep. in our society uh, puts both parents out into the workplace. Uh, that's part of it. Sometimes yep. it's because they have to do that to survive. Sure. And, you know, I, that, that is true. Get that. I, but quite on the other hand, you know, the idea that uh, uh, the children need their mother when they're young, mm-hmm. absolutely do, and uh, need their parents. I can remember a, a fellow was talking to me about taking a promotion, and it would have taken him out of the home a lot, and he would have had to work a lot more hours. And he asked me, well, when is it important for me to be around for my kids? And his children were younger at the time, and my response was now. Yeah. And and, and then he said, well, what happens when they're older? And he gave me an interval, and I said, they'll need you just as much then. Mm-hmm. And, and he kept asking the question, moving it out, and I kept responding to it, that they'll need you then just as much as they do now. Yeah. And if taking that promotion means that you're not going to be around for them very much, you shouldn't take it. Yeah. If, if, if our child hears a diagnosis of, of bipolar, uh, what should we, uh, as parents, what should be our first response or our first concern when a doctor says, I think your child is, you know, your teenager uh, is bipolar? Well, um, you know, if, if a child is going to be labeled with a diagnosis like that, I think it needs to be done uh, by someone who is um, qualified to make it. Most of these diagnoses are being made by people who um, are not um, trained in psychiatry. Mm-hmm. A good number of the diagnoses are getting made by people who are not medically trained either, or at least they're not physicians. They might have a different, different spot on the tree as far as uh, what their level of training is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of diagnoses of depression are, getting, are being made by people who have no, little or no psychiatric training. Yeah. And so, you know, if a parent comes to me and says, well, my child has been told you know, they, they have bipolar disorder. My question is, is who made it and under what circumstances? Mm-hmm. And particularly, I think it's important if that child is on an ADHD amphetamine medication and, and, and or an antidepressant along with it, I, I, you know, I look at that and I go, you know, we, what we really need to know is what your child looks like if they don't take medicine. Yeah. I, I had a, a family that came to me for counseling, and the reason why they came was because the uh, teenage son had uh, slugged his mother and, um, they, you know, at that point they decided they had a problem that required counseling anyway. And they, uh, there were a lot more issues in that situation, but, mm-hmm. you know, the thing that struck me when they brought the child in was, is that he would sit in the room, wouldn't interact very much with me. And, um, you know, I, I, it looked like somebody who was in, you know, a concrete overcoat, whose brain was in a concrete overcoat. That, that would be a good way to describe it. 
And what I told the parents, uh, he had a diagnosis of ADHD. He was on three medications for it at the time. I said, come summer when school's over, I, what I want you to do is take him back to the pediatrician and say, you know, we'd like to wean him off all these medicines because we'd like to see him, what he looks like without it. And the pediatrician complied, objected a bit, but complied. And what we found out was that that boy had a personality. You know, he had struggles with sitting in a classroom and paying attention, but he had a personality. And, you know, so when I have parents who come with a diagnosis like that, you know, those are the things that I'm interested in. Who made it and what medications was he on before they decided to make that diagnosis? Abraham Lincoln said something to the effect of, I believe man is about as happy as he chooses to be. Uh, I know we don't always choose our moods, but can we choose uh, what to do in our moods or how to respond to those moods? Oh, well, I think when it comes to depression, uh, we have lots of choices to make. You know, I, the first and most important choice anybody's going to get to make is whether or not they're going to accept the gospel of grace. That really is a fork in the road, though, isn't it? Isn't it, isn't it kind of the presupposition that really matters? It, it is. Uh, there is no more important message to those who are sad in life and who have struggles than that God loves them and sent his son to die for them. And, uh, you know, an important part of our counseling as biblical counselors is to see to it that people come to understand what the gospel is. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, uh, people who are believers, those who've uh, confessed Christ as their Lord and Savior, um, they need to understand that they are uh, daily presented with opportunities to make choices. And those choices will either be between sin and, and, and doing uh, right, uh, that those choices will always be before them. But as a believer, they can make that choice. They get to choose, as Paul said in Romans 6, uh, 16, Know ye not to whom ye yield yourselves, servants, his servant you are, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. And so the, the individual believer gets to choose how they're going to respond to the, uh, to the struggles of life. Yeah. Importantly, I, how they respond to the losses of life. How am I going to respond when I lose something that I, I think is most important to me? Yeah. I, I teach our kids here at Shepherd's Hill. You know, you, you can choose how you want to respond to something. You can't choose the consequences of how you respond to something. Uh, we're coming up on a break here, but just a quick question. Uh, how can parents better get this across to, to their kids who, who, well, might, who might be struggling with their faith? Uh, you know, I, I, I think um, parents, uh, first and foremost, I, I remember reading a book uh, uh, by a friend of mine, uh, You Never Stop Being a Parent, and the, uh, the important message to, uh, to parents who have children who may not be believers or who are struggling was that they needed to make sure that their marriage was strong, mm -hmm. that the relationship between the husband and the wife uh, was going to persist long past the children being in the home. And the most important thing you could do for your child to get across to them what the gospel is, is to live that uh, in Model your... Model it. Yes, the... Uh, uh, the, the picture of Christ in the church, the church being the bride of Christ, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, uh, is lived out on a daily basis, either for good or ill, by a father and a mother. And, you know, so that's the first place. The next place is, uh, I think, in Deuteronomy 6, where uh, Moses tells the children of Israel that they were to teach their uh, children 
uh, in morning, in the evening, and along the way. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lie down when you get up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Well, I think we've messed with God's ecosystem, and uh, we don't like the uh, logical outworking of messing with God's ecosystem, right. and the consequences are sometimes overwhelming, and um, we, uh, we're going to have to choose uh, to, to yeah. deal with those consequences sometimes. That's how I see it. We're talking today on Licensed to Parent with Dr. Charles Hodges, author of the book Good Mood, Bad Mood, which you can find on his website, goodmoodbadmood.com. We're going to continue in a moment. Incidentally, though, this is conversation number two. We had Dr. Hodges on last week as well. And uh, if you'd like to hear that uh, conversation, if you missed it, perhaps you can find it on our website at licensedtoparent.org. We'll be back with more right after this. Everywhere we go, we're surrounded by screens. Have we entered into a techno-utopia or a virtual prison? Prison. Prison. Is our social experience richer and deeper or more shallow and artificial? Discover insightful answers to these questions in the documentary DVD, Captivated, Finding Freedom in a Media-Captive Culture. You'll learn from media experts, church leaders, and inspiring individuals and families from across the country, including Trace Embry and students from Shepherds Hill Academy. Most importantly, you'll discover how God's Word addresses the unique media challenges we face today. Captivated, finding freedom in a media-captive culture. Available in the store at LicensedToParent.org. Proceeds benefit the Shepherds Hill Academy Scholarship Fund. Teen rebellion, depression, addiction, rage, cutting, and suicide are destroying our families today. But there is a way out. Shepherd's Hill Academy offers a 12-month Christ-centered nonprofit residential program where kids are being transformed with a biblical worldview and often medication-free. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias is just one of many Christian leaders who understands what's happening at Shepherd's Hill Academy. It really is such an honor to come alongside Shepherd's Hill Ministries and Licensed to Parent to rescue those who have been seduced along the way. Uh, I cannot gainsay how important this is, and to get behind a ministry like this, one will find the rewards to be extremely powerful in changing society. Get the help you need at Shepherd's Hill Academy. Go to helpmytroubledteen.org, helpmytroubledteen.org. Welcome back to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. And again, we're talking today with Dr. Charles Hodges, about uh, his book, Good Mood, Bad Mood. And again, you can find that on the website, goodmoodbadmood.com, and dealing with issues like depression and uh, bipolar disorder, anxiety, some of the other things that are tied to it. Um, Dr. Hodges, one of the things that we're not seeing in society today is uh, much of an adherence to a standard well, in our case, biblical morality. Objective Some, moral standard. Somehow the objective moral standard uh, has, has uh, taken a backseat to what, if it feels good, do it. Uh, what effect is that having on, on kids today and on this problem? Is this uh, perhaps one of the causes? It's huge. Uh, the uh, Bible says that the way of the transgressors is hard. I, 
I can remember one preacher saying that when the Bible tells you don't, it, what it really means is don't hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. And that when uh, young people, uh, teenagers, adults, uh, make choices that are sinful, that the Bible says you shouldn't be, um, there's going to be consequences. You're going to get to live out whatever the, whatever the struggles that come after you choose to commit your sin of choice. Uh, most of the problems we see in our society today, I, I, I like what Paul Tripp said. He, he said it, uh, of marriage that it's all a worship problem. You know, it's what I choose to worship yes, and so. what I want. Yeah. When I start counseling people, uh, one of the places I start is in Second Corinthians 5, 9, and it says, Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him, him being God the Father. And I... I have them, I have my counselees learn a sentence, and it is, I want to glorify God with my life more than I want to breathe. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, counselees who will say that and mean it can grow and change, and people who don't want to say it or mean it don't. And the reason why they don't is because they're worshiping something else. Well, that's true. That and something so else. And I, and I, I go on further, I, I, I tell them that the... If God is the one who decides what uh, worshiping him or uh, glorifying him looks like, and it, and it means to love him with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbor, and then loving him means that he who has, as John fourteen twenty one, he who has my commandments and keeps them. He's the one who loves me. So that, you know, when I, when I look at young people and the choices they're going to make, I, I say, fine, you can make that choice, but you should understand there will be an outcome as a result. And, and if you choose poorly, you're going to have a bad outcome, and, that's, and that, that will be upon you. And if you want to worship God instead and, and choose well, your life will be less complicated. Mm. So why does the secular mental health industry shy away from the moral component involved in, in, in mental health then? If there's a moral component, you don't hear about it uh, from secular mental health uh, professionals. Well, I think there has long been a deep abiding under uh, foundational idea that um, Christianity is the source of mental illnesses for some people. I think that started with Sigmund Freud. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not everyone in secular mental health thinks that. I and I, I wouldn't want to wouldn't want to say that they do, but um, a lot of them do, though. Uh, yes, and there is antagonism towards. Uh, towards Christianity amongst a good number of them. And that's to their disadvantage, you know. I mean, it's, it's sort of like if you decide that the, no, the most important fact about life, the thing that gives you the key to, to all outcomes, is something that you're going to deny even exists, then you're always going to come up short in your answers to help people. Well, we're going to have to wrap up today's edition of Licensed to Parent, part two with Dr. Charles Hodges. And again, Dr. Hodges is author of the book, Good Mood, Bad Mood. We would uh, uh, direct you to his website, goodmoodbadmood.com, if you'd like to get a copy of that and find out more. He also has a blog there, and you can uh, follow his other work as well, again, at goodmoodbadmood.com. Dr. Hodges, thanks so much. You've carved out two weeks for us, and we really appreciate it. God bless you, brother. God bless you and the work that you do, and thank you very much. Yes, sir. And that wraps up today's License to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. And again, you'll find us online at licensedtoparent.org. If you missed last week's conversation, part one of our conversation with Dr. Charles Hodges, we'll have it there on the website at licensedtoparent.org. We produce this program in an attempt to share some of the hard lessons that we learn from working with troubled teens day after day. 
Our goal is simple. We'd like to help you become the kind of parent that your child not only wants, but needs, so that neither you nor your child will need residential care in the future. Uh, If you can help us with this effort, though, that would be a tremendous blessing to us. There are many families who could use some residential care but simply don't have the money, cannot afford it. You can help by donating to Licensed to Parent and thereby help us with the Shepherd's Hill Scholarship Fund. We would be most grateful, and again, your donation of any amount would be very helpful at this time of year. Just click the Donate button at the top of the page at LicensedToParent.org. Our guest coordinator on Licensed to Parent is Daniel Fazina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trey Simbry, I'm Rich Rosel. Thanks for listening. Please make plans to join us again next time when you can renew your Licensed to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. See you next time.